0: funny thing happened when i was processing the first part of our recording what happened i noticed they allocate the file size based on who does most of the talking
1: and what does that mean
0: i'm embarrassed to say i did a lot of talking last time (laughs) it was (laughs) the file size was a lot bigger (laughs) on my side and you know it's basically time for us to find out what's been going on with dean because james did a lot of talking in episode seven that's so funny This is super fast business with James Shranko. James helping you build your business super
1: fast. 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 Mr. Shranko,
0: hey Dean, how you going? I'm good. We're back. We're back funny thing happened when i was processing the first part of our recording what happened i noticed they allocate the file size based on who does most of the talking and what does that mean i'm embarrassed to say i did a lot of talking last time
1: (laughs) it was (laughs) the file size was a lot
0: bigger (laughs) on my side and you know it's basically time for us to find out what's been going on with dean because james did a lot of talking in episode seven that's so funny this will be part eight of 25 uh, for us on on super fast business it'll be episode 813 oh my the last one we did was the longest we've been between episodes and this is now the shortest we've been between episodes so well that makes it up there we go dean jackson <laughs> what's
1: going on in your life behind the scenes well i feel good that we got kind of caught up on the last episode like i it leaves a hole all that to go from every year for uh, we've been spoiled spending that much time together lots of time to talk and then all of a sudden it feels like we hadn't even gotten halfway through breakfast on day one (laughs) and it would have been you doing all the talking that's right so yeah i'm happy to uh too much talking talk about the big things because it's been over a year now since i've been in australia like probably uh 15 months i think or so 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 much has happened i mean I'm an observer of all of these things, right? And I've really been, I kind of look and see what we can take away from what's happening right now, you know? And in the time, you tell me if I've shared any of these things with you, but one of the most noteworthy things that's happened that's kind of accessible for everybody is that Kylie Jenner became a billionaire in the time since we were last together. And... She did it in a way that is completely accessible to anybody. And it's a pretty interesting story. But first of all, is Kylie Jenner as popular in Australia as the Kardashians are in the U.S.? Like, what's your awareness level of the Kardashians?
0: I think the popular radio stations, you know, all the the lightweight daily conversation stuff, they're aware of that thing.
1: They're all popular, yeah yeah
0: but i would say i'm more outside of that world like i'm not someone who watches television or listens to radio as maybe you don't so much that's true so yeah i've got to be careful answering this on behalf of all of australia yeah yeah i'm gonna say we know who she is yeah but i would say in general it's funny because we've got our own sort of b grade c grade level celebrities in australia there'll be famous people in australia who no one in america would know that's what i mean but our world is a little bit localized. Yeah. And then there's these big time, you know, huge Americans out there that we're aware of. Right. But we're not as enamored with celebrity right. here yeah. as Americans seem to be. So like just cause some ex boxer endorses a gorilla doesn't mean it's going to be good for us to buy. Mm-hmm. We're very
1: skeptical. I get it. Okay. Perfect. Well, here the Kardashians are big. And I think in most of the English-speaking world, they're well-known. And she started a cosmetics line and sold 51% of the company to Cody, who's a big makeup manufacturer, cosmetics company. She sold 51% of the company to them for $600 million, which means that her other half of the business, which she owns, is worth another 600,000 and Forbes magazine put her on the cover of Forbes as a you know youngest self-made there's a lot of furor around that self-made mm-hmm. billionaire but the way that she did it is where the lesson is and I'm seeing it happen in lots of cases now this whole collaboration era that we're moving into and she basically has a team Of seven people, seven full-time employees is her side of the business. And she does none of the manufacturing. She does none of the distribution, none of the packaging, the customer service, the e-commerce, none of that. She doesn't do any of the actual running of the business, but she is the creative force behind it. Her vision for what she wants to do, lip kit. And the colors and naming the colors and collaborating on what the packaging is gonna look like and all that kind of stuff. And then spreading the word. You know, she's got hundred and fifty million social media followers. So she's got access to an amazing audience that as she tells them about her you know, how she started out was literally three or four years ago and it's all happened very quickly. She wanted to do some lip kits. She's been sort of known for her lips. And so she wanted to do some lip kit cosmetics. And in America, and I think in Australia and all over the world, when people get an entrepreneurial idea, their first idea is to think, well, how do I do that? Right? Like this is a very who not how sort of illustration here that most entrepreneurs figure out how do I make lip kits like you'd look for stuff that says you know here's how to uh make your favorite cosmetics at home if you get the petroleum and you get the this and the you know the coloring and the chemicals and whatever you need you can mix it up at home and most people would kind of bootstrap like that right they'd set up a kitchen factory and start blending stuff up and they and, might
0: start at the local council yes
1: stall or the yes,
0: community fair
1: yes exactly And then they recruit their family and their friends in to start helping them package it up and take it around. Mm -hmm. All that kind of bootstrapping, figuring everything out from the ground up. Well, what Kylie had some friends who were the millennial children of a guy who's Started One of the biggest cosmetic manufacturing companies in the world. They're based in Los Angeles. And there's probably only five or six companies that make all of the cosmetics, no matter what brand they are. There's all trade manufacturers that make the stuff. And they decided that they could help Kylie out with this by using some of the excess capacity in their parents' factory. And they made these limited edition of her lip kit and then took it online and basically broke the internet the day she launched her lip kit. That became a thing. She was sort of using the launch model in a way, right? She announced a new drop and then everything would sell out in minutes. And she parlayed all that into starting her own line. And the children of this spat, labs and tell them the names of all of these things, because if you're inclined to look through all of this as an observer, the stories are fascinating to see how it all came out. And so they started their own factory now called Feed Labs. And what they do is essentially they provide manufacturing for influencers and anybody who wants to create a cosmetics line. And so they've created their own brand as well called Color Pop, which is very popular in the US, but they've got a 200,000 square foot facility where they do every single element from the ground up. I mean, from coming up with the ideas, making the formulations, making the packaging, making the tool and dye that make the manufacturing process, they make it all under one roof. They package it, they ship it, they run the e-commerce. They've basically taken all of the supply chain margins and bundled them under one place so they could do it very profitably and very quickly. So they're able to have an influencer with an idea for a cosmetics line go from idea to shipping in five days, which is fantastic, right? So now you start to think about, so I've been observing this and I found that there's a formula at work here that we can apply that I think is the formula for Cloudlandia. That's the formula for our migration there because the gravity is different in Cloudlandia. I call it the VCR formula and it's vision plus capabilities multiplied by reach. That's the formula that we all have access to. So vision is ideas, formulas, recipes, algorithms, anything that your vision for something. Capabilities would be the execution element of it. Factories, equipment, manufacturing, distribution, all of those things that are on the mainland to make things actually happen. And reach is your ability to get that final message to the market through your own audience or money would be, you can buy reach as well. So as long as you've got those three elements, you've got access to a success. And it's really an interesting thing to see it now unfolding in all these other examples. Do you know who Mr. Beast is?
0: It's a YouTuber?
1: Yes, the YouTuber. He's got 50 plus million. Planting forests. Yes, this guy. That's exactly the guy. Okay. So Jimmy Donaldson, he's one of the biggest YouTubers, 50 plus million subscribers. He just, on December 19th, opened 300 Mr. Beast Burger restaurants in the United States on one day but he doesn't own a single restaurant, not a single property. What he did was he had a vision that he wanted to create a Mr. Beast Burger restaurant. They conceptualized the menu. What are we going to serve at Mr. Beast Burger? What's the burger going to look like? What's the recipe? What's the seasonings we're going to use? What kind of French fries? What kind of chicken tender sandwich are we going to have? What kind of buns are we going to have? All of the soft things, all of the vision for what this is. And then he partnered with independent restaurants with excess capacity in their kitchens that could prepare his menu and ship it out the back door with Deliveroo, the US equivalent, and get that into people's hands without ever having to open a single restaurant wow. and basically broke the internet. You know, Because if you look at it now, He's got the vision for what he wanted to do. The capabilities came from, uh, he partnered with a company called Virtual Dining Concepts. And this guy, Robert Earl was the founder in the 90s of Planet Hollywood, the celebrity restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. So he had experience with this draw of celebrities in the success of a restaurant. And he owns now... Many, many different restaurant concepts, including Buca de Beppo, which is one of the big chains in the US. And so a lot of these excess capacity kitchens are his own kitchens for his restaurants that are underperforming because during COVID, they have been limited in accessibility of people coming into the restaurant. They've been picking up some with curbside. And uh, delivery, but they still have excess capacity. so now to seamlessly offer the Mr. Beast menu with Mr. Beast doing all of the reach elements of it of promoting it, they just do the fulfillment of when the order comes in, they prepare the food and send it out the back door. And these kind of collaborations are happening, you know they're accelerating what's happening. Guy Fieri, is another popular celebrity chef here in the US. He's about to open a hundred flavor town restaurants all over the United States and on their way to a thousand of them by the end of the year. And you put this in perspective of it took McDonald's after they really started getting their stride, like started franchising, it took them six years to get to 300 restaurants. And Mr. Beast did it in one day with none of the expense of opening a single restaurant
0: i hear you i've certainly seen some research showing a comparison of the number of restaurants versus actual profit and they compared kfc mcdonald's pizza hut subway and they found that more restaurants does not equal better Mm -hmm. so that's something to be mindful of in what way more restaurants does not
1: mean better for who
0: the one that had the most restaurants was not the most profitable I'm saying it's like a growth vanity metric for tech startups that bigger isn't better. Oh, right. More isn't better. Yeah. Okay. That's just a side note. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking as you talk about this, it sounds similar to what I'm doing on a smaller scale where I partnered with the software as a service business yeah. where I've got the distribution and the customer and the business model strategy and the coaching support but I'm not going to go and build the tool. So I found the best tool and his partner, and he's not going to go and build out the marketing and get customers. And it just makes sense to have strategic alliances, joint ventures, revenue shares, or co-found businesses or whatever. I'm wondering how have you translated these observations into the Dean Jackson empire?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, so I've been observing this whole who, not how, So I fit it into, right, is that really fits that way. So I look at 90-minute books as a perfect example of that, of one thing where if I look at it that I had the vision for an easy way for people to write books that can grow their business, lead generation books, and I've got the algorithm for it, the recipe, the here's the process of what you do, and started a company that does it. And that is a capability that is something that now I'm not involved in the business of it in terms of the operation of it, but it's my business and I am a catalyst for steering people to it, for being on the reach side, bringing an audience to it right so i'm straddling that capability with my vision for it because it wouldn't exist if i didn't have the vision for it and i've got the reach of an audience of people who like the message of how do i grow my business you know and that's certainly one tool there
0: plug the book url
1: 90minutebooks.com there you go that's the website and You know, you look at those things. What I'm really finding exciting about it is that having that sort of awareness, that sort of formula, gives people permission to stay in your in your lane. You know, to really amplify the thing that you have the best idea for. You know, if you've got capabilities, viewing your capacity and specifically your excess capacity as a assets that you can deploy on behalf of other people that creates amazing opportunities you know yes
0: if you're good at the thing you do yeah you know there's a lot of parallels i think from the industry i came from where mercedes-benz for example would get electrics from bosch they would get tires from pirelli or michelin Mm -hmm. there were some really interesting subtleties to that too Mm -hmm. you know mercedes-benz wasn't going to go and manufacture tires right that's just not their core Better to just partner up with people who have been in the game for a while. Yes. But they did maintain two or three different tire suppliers, Mm -hmm. which gave them the ability to bargain, and it gave them some coverage against supply shortages, et cetera. So I thought that was interesting. Yes.
1: There's never been a better time to be a visionary in this equation. I've been saying this in the best sense of the word. Every capability that we could possibly need has been commoditized. I mean that in the good sense of the word, meaning available for sale, that you can buy or access any capability that you need. And so there's never been a better time to just assemble the pieces of something. I think that probably has spawned a big industry in
0: the drop shipping world.
1: (laughs) Like that's certainly part of it.
0: They can sell anything on Amazon.
1: Yeah, that there's a capability that Amazon gives you the capability to have access to a global market and a world class fulfillment system. You know, it requires vision to see what there's a market for, and you got to have reach to kind of get to it, or even just uh, tapping into. Because Amazon has both capabilities and reach. It does.
0: And it makes me wonder, you know, if they get a strong vice grip and people start going down that path, Mm -hmm. does it remove choice from the consumer? And over time, is it a bad thing? Or does it provide opportunities for people who want to be independent of that system? I'm thinking of companies like Volibecq who make Really high end, you know, interesting clothing Uh where they're just doing their own thing, and you're not going to find that stuff on Amazon.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you have to be unique and only available in one uh, place. Like I noticed and have heard, the thing about Amazon is that if you have a category and you start selling a lot of something that they could make,
0: they start making
1: it absolutely because they've got access. To their audience and their poll positions and their featured products and their stuff. So, and they do that a lot. You know, it's similar. You got to be careful. It's
0: like they've got all these people doing the validation testing on their own dime for them to just to float the winners. That's what it is. Absolutely, It'd be quite a lot like you or I seeing all the clients we see and observing what the winners look like. Yeah, and that's the sort of business we're going to go into yes. or partner with. Yeah, because. It's already been validated.
1: Let me tell you something, James. One thing I like to say, there's a little adage that I like to follow, is that you should always own the race course. That's what I say. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like great advice.
0: (laughs) Look, the word that comes to mind here is vertical integration. Mm-hmm. It's a concept I think every one of our listeners should be familiar with. And that is basically chopping out the middleman. It's what people tend to do. If they have a Western style agency, they might discover this happens with some of their key employees. Yeah, Their key employees might vertigrate their employer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they leave the business and next thing you know, they're courting your prospects and providing a service mm-hmm. without you involved. At a bigger margin to them or a lower price to the consumer. Yeah. It's a really valuable thing to think about. And it's the big question is often like, how far should I extend my own ownership of this versus partner or, or have someone else? So for me, things like software is an easy decision because I found having my own software very difficult. Yeah. It's not my passion. Yeah. It's well suited to somebody other than me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go into that space in that capacity. So partnership is just so much easier and more logical. But then there's other things where, you know, big companies decide whether they do something in-house or get a contractor. That's where they have to make the decision. So I'm thinking for someone listening to this episode, they may want to recognize that often their competition is someone on the cusp of deciding, is it a who or a how?
1: That's really interesting. And, you know, I don't know when it's happening, but I just, that LinkedIn is going to offer a marketplace now, just like Upwork or uh, Fiverr sort of thing where you look at, I think that'll be the top level where if you look at Fiverr as kind of like getting the lowest end stuff done, getting Upwork being a little more middle range and then LinkedIn, the implication would be that you would have a marketplace for you know executive level talent as well. You know, especially now that everybody is used to the fact that we can all work remotely. We're fine. Everybody can work from home. We
0: can? (laughs) I've heard it's just a bit of a fad.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting, though?
0: I went to get the coffee at the local coffee shop the other day, Dean, on the corner here. And the lady said to me, do you work from home? Because it was, I don't know, it was like 11 in the morning on a weekday. I said, yep. Uh, since 2008 uh-huh. <laughs> and she said wow I think she's now discovering her new audience of people who are working yeah. from home that didn't used to work from home right also on a side note and no one else will understand what I'm saying here they have removed the planter box that we've been keeping progress on down in Manly they have I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there they gave up on it yep it's gone oh. gave up on it sometimes You've just got to recognize things aren't going to grow or do what they're supposed to do, and you just have to kill it off. And it would have been beautiful. It would have been beautiful if it had worked.
1: It was one of these big, beautiful living walls, living planter box. Yeah.
0: A living wall of plants. Yeah. It's now a living wall of paint. Oh, well. (laughs) dead wall of paint. But, you know, more to the point, when I go into Manly Village, I do observe what's changed and where things are up to. But, man, the retail space gets devastated. Every time I go down there, it's like I'm in a different village. Oh, yeah. There's a whole new set of people spinning the roulette wheel to have a crack at making the business survive. And then whether it's weeks, months, or years – often they disappear. Only the core is there. And I would have to say, what a market test. If you can set up and maintain a store down in Manly Corso, which I believe is some of the most expensive shopfront real estate in Australia, if you can survive for five years plus, then that is a business model worth paying attention to. Hungry Jack. (laughs) Hungry Jacks is still there. Of course they are. Yeah. Yep. But so is the sort of more local competitor Benbury You know, Benbury's has been there, and yeah, the ice cream. Uh, no, not Ben and Jerry's. That's still there. Yeah. Starbucks is still there, much to the displeasure of most <laughs> locals. They had a spin on it though. This is the spin, right? Uh-huh. That it's owned by Australians. This franchise is owned by local Australians. So
1: oh well, that makes it okay.
0: And it's catering for the tourists who really expect to have a Starbucks there at Manly. Yeah,
1: that changes everything.
0: It does. So because it's owned by local Australians, yeah, it's okay. You know, there is a burger store there that's in competition to the major chains that has survived, and it's got a really clever system, and they've got another branch at DY. How's our jellyfish? Oh, jellyfish is still there, but no surprise to you. Both the shops on the other side have changed at least three times since you were here last. Wow. Wow. That's crazy, isn't it? but J- jellyfish now has a little hut at the front of the store where they serve oh okay takeaways from they finally stopped making you walk through the shop to order at the counter and you can access it mm-hmm. with ease, but there's a lovely Greek restaurant beside it. I hope that sticks around, and then there's another restaurant on the other side. It's amazing there's one it's the eighty twenty, and then these other two just shuffle shuffle, shuffle, shuffle,
1: yeah, amazing. Is Deliveroo is a big one, massive, yeah. Are there others Uber Eats as well? or There is. There's Uber Eats. So you've got lots of competitors, right, like in that market, lots of options?
0: Not so many. No. It's really only two, I think. Okay. I mean, Deliveroo is the King yeah. Kong and then there's Uber Eats. Now, I don't know if we have Panda Express or, or whatever. Uh-huh. I think we've really only got the main player. Yeah. What has been interesting, though, Dean, is some of the shops that staunchly resisted yeah. having Deliveroo before COVID are now like – urging and encouraging you to go and get it. Yeah. It's like they've surrendered their control. Yeah. They've said, yeah, please, just go to Deliveroo and order. That's the only way they're getting the pipeline now. Yeah. And only one company on Deliveroo, you know, I consider this research, you know, for my kids, not for me, but Mm -hmm. when I ordered a Domino's pizza Mm -hmm. that says that your order will be delivered by Domino's, you won't see updates. So Uh Domino's have got enough clout that they can say to Deliveroo, look, we'll accept your orders, but we're going to deliver it ourselves and we're not going to update your app. Right. That's very interesting to me because most of the little players won't have that leverage.
1: Yeah, well, Domino's has really done an amazing job of when they made the shift to, they viewed themselves as an e-commerce business, not a pizza restaurant. Mm. And that was a big shift because in the United States, one thing they did, which was brilliant, was they opened up 150,000 hot spots, meaning wherever you are, they'll deliver the pizza to you. So you open the app and let's say that the bench between the pantry and the surf school or whatever, somewhere in there is a spot that would be a pizza hot spot that you could order from the app. If you're at the beach, you can order on the app and have it delivered. To the hot spot wherever you are. It's fascinating, right? Yeah,
0: it's clever. That's also a Pokemon zone right there, apparently.
1: Right. Okay. Well, there you go.
0: Remember, they were very clever tying those in with uh, shops. Yeah. Trying to get them to buy yeah. a Pokemon monster. And that's so, I mean, fascinating. Deliver is clever in that you can drop a pin. The thing that really interested me as well is that. The difference between when you used to call up a shop and order takeaway and in the old days, you'd go and get it or sometimes they'd deliver it to you, but it'd be rarer. But then now it's like, hey, I could be actually overseas. I could be with Dean Jackson in Florida on the couch and I can order a meal for my kid at home to be delivered. Yeah,
1: that's great. That's perfect.
0: From my phone. Yeah. But at the same time, I can also flick on um, my current location at the hotel in Florida and have delivery bring me a meal there.
1: Yeah. That is pretty wild when you think about it. Life's getting better. Like, Cloudlandia is a good thing. You know, there's so much opportunity. It's like such an amazing time to be alive right now.
0: It is a very interesting time, no doubt about that. And I was reading a list of the top billionaires last yeah. year. They all increased their wealth. Sure. There's more billionaires yeah. and the top ones increased their wealth. So right. not everyone's had a struggle, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if your aspiration is to be a billionaire, there it's never been easier either.
0: I actually don't think I will be a billionaire. <laughs> like. Just being a deca millionaire would be uh-huh. fine. Yeah. That would be enough. I wonder how did billionaires become such a talked about pinup or poster? Yeah. You know, aspiration front. Why is that when almost everyone's not going to be a billionaire? Let's be honest about it. Right. I think there's only 6,000 billionaires or something in the
1: whole world. That was the big realization that I had 21 years ago when I went through the exercise of I know I'm being successful when mm-hmm. was. I've gone through that exercise with so many people and there's nobody has ever said, I know I'm being successful when I become a billionaire or when I have any amount of money. Nobody's ever said an amount that is how they would define success. It's an interesting thing and I use success and happiness as that's what we're really looking for. You know, like if you're really looking for a life, That's what the purpose of the business is for, is to support or fund the life that you really want, you know? But I look at these, I don't know a single billionaire that I would want to be. I don't. That I would trade places with in any way. I look at Mark Zuckerberg in the congressional hearings and I look at these things. I'm like, there's not a minute of Mark Zuckerberg's day that I would want to be. Him.
0: I'm not sure if he's a billionaire, but that John Butcher from Life Books seems right. like he's closer to having a good life.
1: Yes, and I know lots of people who have a hundred million dollars or more that do have great lives like that. Yes,
0: well, I know people who are happy and unhappy at all different yeah. income levels.
1: But most of them that I do know at that level have exited into that, and now they have great lives.
0: <laughs> I think this is an important discussion. Yeah. And I think. As I was taught by a, a multimillionaire client of mine, there's a sort of this inescapable phase of having to crawl over broken glass uh-huh. to get to that. Yeah. There's no question in my life, I had to go out and chop timber and build the fire before I enjoyed my cozy log cabin. Like I had to put in a massive amount of effort and strain and stress and wear and tear to get through that to be where I'm at now.
1: Right. What about you? I have avoided a lot of that. That's- Levels in that I started out with a really healthy sense of purpose and knowing that I was going to keep my lifestyle below my means, right? I was leading with revenue. And that's been, I think, a good thing for me because I never got into a situation where I escalated my lifestyle that requires me to continue to make more and more money early on
0: i'm not going to say it's an excuse but i no think that the absolute definitive moment for me was at the age of 23 discovering that there'll be an extra one of us a year from nine months from then Mm, right you know when i'm 24 and yeah that just changed the dynamic of everything for me and i never had And put me into a a long slog. So Mm -hmm. I'll also say I do not think that I would have the life I have now if I didn't have kids. I I feel that everything that happened had to happen. It was a catalyst. uh, And Because it did happen, right? And I'm just lucky I landed on my feet in a way. And, of course, we win the lottery. I'm not underestimating how much of an advantage it is, you know, what country you're born, what color you're born, what parents you're born
1: to. That's a lucky dip there
0: that I did well with. Yeah.
1: And you're also blessed with the you're an INTJ, which is in the Myers-Briggs world. You know, you're wired for figuring that out and you've got that determination. You
0: know, Yeah, so again, it's like what genes we're born with makes a big difference.
1: Yeah. You know, like as
0: a parent, when you find out about other parents who have had kids who didn't make it, it's like you just think that is heartbreaking mm-hmm. and it's like totally outside their control. It seems um unfair. Yeah. It's just luck of the draw or whatever. But I was having this thought the other day, right, and this might sound silly as I say it, but <laughs> I think I'll say it anyway. I was just thinking – you know, if we knew we only had one year to live or whatever, okay. you know, I wonder how much we would change Right. what we're doing. Like, for example, most of us save up superannuation, or I think you call it 401, yeah. let's call it retirement yeah, savings. Yeah. Most of us have built in a discipline of some delayed gratification, mm-hmm. or, you know, we're doing things today for our future yeah. self. You and I talked about that. I wonder how we would change the mix, and then, then I sort of extrapolated on you know, sort of this concept of, you know, if if we knew we were going to die or whatever. And then I thought, oh, my God, like, we are going to die. Right. We're all going to die. Yeah. Like, and then I saw this sc- scammer got hauled for a $1.3 billion scheme or something. He was an Instagrammer. And in his Instagram, he's wearing all these fancy clothes and he's got all these cars that he buys and watches and things. And... In one of his one-liners with his millions of fans, he wrote, In a Dress Well Every Single Day of Your Life you know like he said something like don't save stuff for a good occasion Ooh. every day is a good occasion right and even though he's like a scamming hustler like the point's still quite interesting and the funny thing is i'm wearing a nicer shirt today even though this is a non video episode are you yeah just that one concept of me stringing two things together like thinking something and then seeing something it just reminded me Oh, and also my wife said, you know, stop wearing that daggy shirt. (laughs) So that was the third thing. And perhaps the most important one. (laughs) Like, I just wear a plain blue T-shirt on most of my podcasts. And I think she saw a video playback of my guest who was Rand Fishkin. And he was wearing a nice sort of lumberjack shirt up there in Seattle. Okay. And she said, you should dress nicer on your podcasts. Oh, boy. (laughs) So anyway, stacking all these ideas together. Yeah. I'm just going to optimize things a little more why not use some of the nice things we have a little more? Right. Uh, What's your take on that?
1: Well, it's an interesting thought because I, again, you know, I realize no matter what we are going to die, it's probably not going to be today and that's good, but it might be tomorrow and it doesn't matter if it's tomorrow or 50 years from now, that day's coming, you know? And, We don't know when it is. That's the great mystery of it all. So you have to live kind of accordingly. But one of the exercises that I've been doing is a kind of hot conversational exercise with people is just kind of exploring the idea of what would happen in your life right now. like Just chronologically, if I were to wire a $100 million into your bank account right now, how would that impact your life right now going forward? Like, what would be the different? What would be the impact of that?
0: Yeah, it's a great exercise. I love that one.
1: Would that be the end of super fast business? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh
0: huh. No doubt about it. Right. All I would do is surf, uh-huh. uh, chat to friends. Watch Netflix, read books, yes. spend time with my kids. Yeah. Basically, what we're talking about here is probably percentage changes. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you go back to our previous episode, I've already whittled my week down to about 15 hours of actual yeah. scheduled right. calls. I already surf every day. So would it mean that I could surf every day? That would be no difference. Right. I would definitely surf every day, yeah. but I'll probably surf twice a day uh-huh. if I had a hundred million in the account. yeah, I think I would make that addition. I think I would also work on my environment, like my living environment. I spend an, a lot of time in my house. Yeah. Or houses. Yeah. Let's say I'm interested in that. I'd like, I'd be guided by what I naturally do. So I recently bought two coffee table books from my local surf dealer mm-hmm. called Surf Shacks. Ah, nice. And it's basically a, you know, pictorial book of different people's surfing houses like yeah a bit about them a bit about their house a bit about their equipment yeah and mostly just pictures of the equipment sort of an inspiring journal to look through and to be guided about for me you know what will my visualizations about life look like and i'm very close to where i want to be but right i would say there is no way i would be doing coaching or this podcast or any of the joint ventures I do if I had $100 million because that would see me out for the rest of eternity in terms of financial need. yeah. And it would see me with a routine that I would be happy to sustain. yeah. What about you? I know for a fact you would still get on calls and do chats with people because that's what you do. And I would do that too, but I may not do it in a formal structure or feel the need to publish it.
1: Right. The interesting thing is that you get to the sense that I'm sure you would be more inclined to do more angel investing or more investing type of things now.
0: Oh, definitely I would invest in people. I, yeah. I would be inclined. Like I naturally help a lot of people yeah. some who I don't even charge for. I, yeah. I do it anyway, right? So that would not change. But I wouldn't lose any sleep over not having to bother with it. And, and also I would make sure that every single person in my team – absolutely looked after even if i have them on board yeah. to potter around on stuff but i would make sure i find them all a fantastic yeah. place to work and give them a big bonus yeah so as they're editing this they're probably smiling thinking well at least he's got my back that's nice so it wouldn't be a selfish endeavor no i think it would just enable me to lean more into just being even more organic yeah and less strategic about stuff you know uh naval ravikant Have you heard of him? Yes. I've just been reading his book and like his Twitter feeds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's
1: clever. Great guy. Like, I mean, what a great guy. He showed up on my radar. I saw him on the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. And he's a very thoughtful guy. He did a tweet storm that was all about how to get rich, basically. And he said on Joe Rogan that we all are basically looking for three things we want to be rich. We want to be happy and we want to be healthy. Those are the three great pursuits that we have. Mm -hmm. And he said of the three money getting rich is one you can win. There's an end to it Mm -hmm. that you could, like you said, yes, if you have a hundred million dollars, You've won the money game.
0: I think I'm actually being bravely honest and transparent, saying, Yeah, I'll I'll just switch it off. Like, I'm not pretending that this is like my 100% passion. Right. I think he's just described the cascading waterfall of how things would roll. Yeah. Okay, wealth tick. It's all about happiness and health after that.
1: Yes. That's it. Right. And that's kind of an interesting thing. And I look at my approach to that, I know I'm being successful in my approach to. The day to day of it is to realize that we can only spend today. And I may as well be crystal clear on what are the elements that would make up my day? How am I experiencing being successful on the day? And that's been such a guidepost for me. And I don't know whether, you know, it's been a thing that. You know, you and I would say we live very comfortable lives and we've done well in business and we've got multimillion dollar businesses and we'd be successful, you know, in definition. And there's always, there's always then people that you know that have exited companies or sold things and have big chunks of money that they've gotten all at once that, is a different pursuit than maybe what you and I have been pursuing.
0: It's all about the pursuit. Yeah. What do you choose to pursue? Yeah. I think that's what makes these chats interesting because you and I, I think we are cutting a different path to the majority, Mm -hmm. which I'm totally happy with. Yes.
1: Well, that's the thing. I have a great life and it's only in the comparison that I see any sense of if I'm thinking, should I have done that like should i have you know essentially tried harder
0: should you have started a makeup line
1: yeah should i have started a makeup line <laughs> or should i have really scaled something that i look at you know
0: but i think it's a natural thing to do we, yeah. d- we talk about it you know don't compare or whatever but it is natural just yeah and i can't help but just curiously observe you know yeah how does that apply to me yeah we're selfish at the core yeah like How does that apply to me? What's my takeaway from that? And through a constant tuning of the machine, and we talked about this before, like in the the previous episode, our schedules, tuning that schedule and being disciplined about it, you end up, you know, every cell in our body replaces over time and every habit probably can be replaced and every thought. I'm happy to bump a thought out and add a new one in and change the way I think about things.
1: You're absolutely right. Like that's what I was looking at is thinking through And I have to check myself with my thinking sometimes, right? Like I'm I'm shining a light on it and seeing, am I harboring a limiting belief on some things, right? Like if I say that to get to $100 million is that my mind would initially think, well, that'd be a lot of work. And you have to crawl through glass, like broken glass, like what you just described there, right? That's the element of it. It takes a lot of people. And I'd have to work a lot more than what I'm doing now. It would be more corporate kind of world, right? And then I started asking myself, okay, is that true? Is there anybody who has $100 million who has not gone through that path? And then I started thinking, well, J.K. Rowling, I was sitting in my office here In uh, Winterhaven office, I thought you're in the Four Seasons Valhalla. (laughs) That's my. Been my world right now but i happen to be over in my office which i don't think you've ever gone over there did i show you the building
0: yes you took me to your office i did a okay. fireplace in the oh oh yeah yeah i've seen everything there is to see if I've, I've even been to the local bicycle shop okay, and the, there the nice coffee shop right 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 okay i would say you took me around but it would be more accurate to say your tesla took me around right and you were in it <laughs> I've even been to the local airfield and uh, mosquito catchment place.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I was writing this in my journal as so I think a lot about things like this. And I was thinking I had bought a box set of the Harry Potter books because I was in a bookstore and I was reading a magazine that said that J.K. Rowling had just become a billionaire and that she was the wealthiest self-made woman in the UK and whatever. And I was sitting there, and on an end cap in the bookstore, there was a box set of the Harry Potter books, of all of them. And I thought to myself, looking at the article, looking at that, and I realized in that moment that J.K. Rowling has become a billionaire on a path from her mind through her hand through a pencil onto a piece of paper that was the path to a billion dollars for her right that's an interesting thing right and then i started thinking about james patterson you know there's lots of people who are writers who have taken that path or people who write movies so there's a lot of creative People who have made lots of money without building a big organization, without scaling things.
0: Well, I think uh, music artists can do it with royalties. That's Authors it. Authors can do it, and that's what led me to Max Martin. She had like a massive
1: build-up to that,
0: though. Yeah, like the challenges she had.
1: Yes. Oh, absolutely. She crawling through broken glass, like you said.
0: Oh, big time. Yeah. Like her mum passed away. Yeah. She had divorced. She was… Um,
1: Writing in a coffee
0: shop. I think she was inspired by a delayed train. Yeah. I think we have quite a lot of Harry Potter paraphernalia here. Oh, you and I have had this discussion, but I mm-hmm. may be married to one of the greatest fans on the planet. Oh, wow. Even my daughter knows all the characters. It's passed on.
1: Wow. Oh, well, you'll have to bring everybody and go to Harry Potter world here. Mm-hmm. We will. Mm-hmm. And we've
0: already been to the Harry Potter filming studio in the UK. So, like, uh-huh. we take this seriously.
1: Yeah. This is great.
0: I remember you had a stuffed toy that created some um, toy
1: envy. Oh, yeah. Which one did I have that you really like? I
0: forgot. It was on your couch, and I took a picture of it, and my wife wanted me to stuff it in my bag and bring it home.
1: Oh, right. There you go. I said that would be inappropriate. That's funny. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny. But anyway.
0: Okay. Well, I think we're at time again, but I like how this series is unfolding. We've still got a number of episodes left in the tank.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: We've nominated 25 as our projected target and we've just recorded number eight. So we're a third of the way through.
1: I like it. Yeah. I'm wondering when I'll see you next.
0: Okay. Let's take odds on that. Yeah. I was just going to say. I'm going to say I don't think you'll be allowed here till later in the year, which is your usual time if you were to come. Mm -hmm. I would say it'd be either the end of 2021 Mm -hmm. or it'd be the end of 2022.
1: That's what I think.
0: Depending on which country. That's my thing. That's what I think. Yeah. I think the end of 2022 is the 85%. Yes, I
1: think that's true.
0: And end of 2021
1: is a 15% bet. My dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just going to go ahead and call it. I can speak to you at least. 2022. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. We should do this more often, even just off the record.
0: As often as you want. I'm putting this up at episode 813, and the other one we had was 810. So we're just going to roll through. Let's just keep adding to the pile. There's plenty more discussions. Let's go and see what happens in your life and what happens in my life over the next short period, and then catch up again. Absolutely. I'd love that. I love it. Thank you so much, Dean. Yeah. By the way, where do people go and find out about you? You're doing email mastery. We definitely should mention
1: that. Oh, yeah. That's been so much great stuff. Yeah, we didn't even talk about branding and the pursuit of now. Yeah. so (laughs) We really got off on – we just look at the clock and we're always over the uh, stuff. But, again, in the big scope of things, we would just be wrapping up breakfast right now of our normal two weeks fully immersion with each other. So this is, you know, two hours in, we would just be leaving the pantry (laughs) now. So, but yeah, email mastery for sure. There's so much great stuff happening in, you know, the pursuit of conversational conversions. And I do my program at email mastery.com. And it's been such a great thing that I've enjoyed just seeing all the wins. Like I was just emailing with Taki or texting with Taki. He just sent out some email sequences that got some amazing results. I've been working with my franchise clients who have been here using conversational conversion for amazing results. And it's my favorite thing that I do, you know,
0: yep, Cool that is epic. So what's the website?
1: Yeah, uh, the website is emailmastery.com and it starts with a ebook that people can download that has the transcripts of three episodes of The Out of Marketing podcast where we outline the core of these email conversion principles. But that's how it's people start in my world is just getting in my email world. Mm-hmm. And we take it from there. Watch it unfold. Awesome.
0: We'll put a link to that in our show notes. I appreciate it. And great to catch up, Dean.
1: Yes. Awesome.
0: Thanks, James. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.